Well, good morning, Valley Point Church, and happy Father's Day. This is the day that we set aside to think and to honor the men who have built us into the people who we are today. And I do realize that that isn't always a positive experience for everybody. My hope is that today you feel encouraged and that today you feel challenged as well. But thank you for being here. And I do appreciate and feel blessed for the relationship that I've had with my father. He has helped form me into really all aspects of who I am today. He taught me a good work ethic when I was a young boy. Even when I opposed that ethic against him, he stuck with it and made sure that I developed that. He disciplined me, and so he taught me discipline. And he also formed my profession because for much of my childhood, my father was a pastor also. So seeing him, and that certainly influenced my profession. He also taught us how to be, me and my two brothers, how to be a father and how to be a husband for the family. So for that, I feel very fortunate and blessed, and I thank the Lord for that relationship. And if that was you and your experience, you should be grateful for that as well, because it really models what we find in Proverbs chapter 20, when it says, the just man walketh in integrity. And then what? His children are blessed after him. So let us, dads today, grandfathers today, let us strive in our relationships to be filled with justice and to walk with integrity so that we can give this blessing to our families. Well, last week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit distributes gifts to all believers. And Pastor Eric walked through this process and kind of shared with us that once we trust in Jesus alone to save us, once we become Christians, Christ followers, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us. But a part of that process is he then gives us gifts, grace gifts, spiritual gifts for us to specifically use for one purpose, to edify the church. And what does that word edify mean? It's not really something that I commonly use every day. Some scripture uh, translations use this word edify. Others use a different phrase that I think can help us understand this idea a little bit better in, in modern day for our English. So to edify means to build up. And in, in scripture, when this is used, it literally means to build up. As in the story of the two men who were building homes. One of the men built his house on a rock foundation. Another man built his house on a sandy foundation. Well, of course, the man who built his house on the firm foundations, his house stood. However, the house that was built on the sand fell away when the storms came into their lives. And so Paul then says, okay, the church is similar in that we have to build up the church in a way that is set on a firm foundation, the rock of Jesus Christ. So that is the church. Jesus Christ as the foundation, 
and his believers are to build up the church on top of his foundation. In Ephesians chapter 4, we find Paul writing to a local church, and he writes this. He, talking about Christ, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So that when the whole body is healthy, it's growing and full of love. That describes a healthy and thriving faith community. So this leads us to our big idea for today, and it's this. I have a responsibility to fulfill within the church. You have a responsibility to fulfill within the church. Personalize this. And even apart from my professional responsibilities as a church, as I work for this church, I have responsibilities outside of that that the Holy Spirit has gifted me with, and I have responsibilities to fulfill within the church. This applies to each and every believer, those who have put their faith in Jesus alone to save them. So last week kind of focused on the Holy Spirit's responsibility. It's his responsibility to take up residence in us and to give us these gifts. Well, now we're going to turn to our responsibility. So to do this, I have four questions that we're going to walk through this morning. Because I think there's some natural questions that fall out of last week's talk to kind of better understand what are we supposed to do with all of this information. So with each question... I'm going to present a biblical principle to help us answer it. And based on that principle, an attitude that we should have. So we're going to look at a question. I'm going to present a principle for each one, and then an attitude that we should have. So here are the four questions that we're going to be talking about today and answering. What is expected of us as we become part of the working body of Christ, the church? Very practically speaking, what's the expectation here? Number two, how often and in what ways are we expected to use our gifts? How much of this are we supposed to be doing? Are there some gifts that are more valuable or important to the church? And then lastly, we'll look at why is it important that we use these gifts that we have been given? So why is this even such a big deal? One of the things we're going to do is we're going to look at godly men who were part of sharing in that foundation of the early church. So we're going to use their wise advice this morning. And maybe that's something that you would say, I just never really got growing up. It was something that was lacking in my household, in my life. I, I was just never given good advice to help me. I kind of just had to figure everything out on my own. And there's plenty of us who would share a story like that. We'll take this as an opportunity to gain advice, godly advice from men, godly men in the history of the church who shared, okay, this is how godly living should be done. And let's take their advice this morning and consider what they have to say. So what's our first question? Our first question is this, what is expected of us as we become part of the working body of Christ. All right, I put my faith in Jesus. Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside of me. He has given me these gifts to edify the church. 
What's the expectation? So first, before we get too deep into this, I think we need to adjust the way we think about our time. Firstly, we must change the way we view our time. Because I think there's, a, there's a, a, a bigger idea here than just using gifts. And this is how we manage our time, how we think about our time with a Christian worldview. So the principle we're going to base our answer to this question on is this. Principle number one, God owns everything. God owns everything. And if you've been here for any amount of time at Valley Point, you've probably heard us use this phrase. And we might typically use it in regards to our personal finances. We talk about how this principle, this idea that God owns everything is really the foundation for our generosity, but it's not dealing with just finances. This includes our time. God owns everything, including our time. This is a very important concept, a, a very different concept with a Christian worldview than others might assume. Have you ever told somebody who reluctantly asked you for a favor or they got to the point where they just had to ask for your help and they're like, I'm so sorry to take your time and they're acting like this is such a big deal and you're like, no, 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 it's fine. My time is your time, right? You don't care about using your time for that person. They've helped you out perhaps in the past or they're a friend or they're a family member. You're like, this is what we do. Like, this is what we're supposed to do. Don't even think about it. My time is your time. So this needs to be our attitude. If God owns everything, then my attitude should be my time is his time. My time is his time. In fact, all time is a gift. And we're not promised any more time being Christians. None of us are promised any amount of time. So all time is a gift from God. And this concept tells us that we really can't give anything to God, right? If God owns everything, we can only give back to God what he has first given to us in our finances, in our time. So if our time's not ours, then it's not mine to make all the decisions with. It's a gift from God, and I must use it in a wise and healthy and respectful way for the gift that it is. Ephesians chapter 5 says, so be careful how you live. This is the Apostle Paul. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Now, this sounds like some fatherly advice, right? I can picture myself saying this. Quit fooling around and listen up. You know, you're getting this thing wrong. Verse 16, make the most of every opportunities in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly but understand what the Lord wants you to do. All right, great advice. This should be our mindset. Have Christ, it's his time, not my time. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Well, how do we do that? How do we, how do we discern what the Lord wants us to do with our time? I would propose that there is a, a means of doing this, a very practical means, and this really regardless of spirituality. So if you're not a Christian or if you don't um, think of yourselves in spiritual terms, this is just a very practical way to um, evaluate 
your time. I think this is healthy for all of us to do periodically. Take inventory of the time we use and then begin to ask some follow-up questions in regards to how we're using our time. Ask things like, is it the wisest use of our time? So it's really not that helpful to say, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Because you'll get a hundred different answers, a hundred different people. And really, it can be relative. A lot of good things can be done at bad times. So it's not about, is this right or is this wrong? Is it the wisest use of our time? Will this even matter 10 years from now? Is this what my kids really need in life? Our family decisions, where we spend our time, what we let our kids participate in, what takes priority in our time? Does my activities align with my personal values? Is my family growing spiritually? So I think we spend a lot of times making sure our kids develop physically, educationally, but are we asking the same questions and putting the same attention into, is my family developing spiritually? Does my time fulfill my purposes or God's purposes? A few weeks ago, I challenged everybody in a talk and said, hey, think about what you think is going to matter to you most in the final moments of your life. And then challenge yourself and say, okay, is how I'm acting in life reflecting what I'm ultimately going to say is the most important thing in my life at the end? And take evaluation of that and make adjustments where needed. See, this is healthy to do periodically just to help us maintain, like, are my actions really in alignment with my values in life? Whatever your values may be and make adjustments where needed. This concept, this principle of our time, not actually being our time, it's to fulfill a purpose. It's to prevent us from turning inward and being selfish. So one of the things that I share with every couple as I'm going in uh, to like premarital counseling with them, as I do the wedding, as part of the challenge, here's one of the things I always say to to every one of them. I say, you have now forfeited your right to be selfish, right? You, you, you're no, you can't be selfish anymore because now you are responsible for the health and the well-being of another person. That's your personal responsibility now to take care of one another. And then when you have kids, forget about it. You can't be selfish even if you want to be or if you, if you found a way, please let me know, because I would like to try that out a little bit. But selfishness has to go away because selfishness always leads to sinful behavior. It distracts us. It isolates us. It erodes our maturity. Haggai, a prophet, in the Old Testament, a prophet of God to the nation of Israel puts it this way, and I would say this is great fatherly advice. He says, you have planted much but harvested little. You eat but are never enough. You drink but you do not have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. Here it is, everybody. Give careful thought to your ways. And we see the prophet here pointing out all these practical areas of our lives. And he's not saying you're not working hard. He's not saying you're being bad dads. You're, you're, you're not around enough. He's not telling them they're not providing for their family. In fact, they're doing all of those things. They're working hard. They're making a living. They're putting clothes on their kids' back. They're making sure they have a warm place to stay and to live. See, it wasn't about what they were doing. It was their attitude. It was going about things with selfishness not being content, always wanting more and more and not being satisfied and paying attention to the things that matter the most. So what's expected of us as Christ followers when it comes to using our time, using our gifts within the church? Give careful thought and use it for God's purposes, not just our own purposes. All right, on to our next question. How often and in what ways are we expected to use our gifts? So here we must begin to change the way we hold on to our time. Because principle number two is this. Live or give generously and cheerfully. Both, which can be very difficult to do in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, not because you're just forced to do it. For God loves a what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. So there's no set standard for this is how much time you need to spend in doing these things. This is what you have to do to check it off of your list. There's not a standard here. The best advice that we're given is to give until you can no longer give cheerfully. So hang tight because this isn't an easy way out. We can't cop out of this and say, well, I'm not happy about it, so I shouldn't do it. Because God says, I shouldn't do it if I'm not cheerful, so I'm out. This was actually happen happening within the church. And Paul, we can very plainly see, he writes to different churches all throughout his letters in the New Testament. Some churches were doing very well with their generosity, and it was growing in many different ways. But then other churches, we see a distinct differentiation where he's saying, this is lacking. And he doesn't just let them off the hook and say, well, since you're not happy about doing this, uh, you know, don't do it. It's okay. He challenges them. And he says, well, why are you not cheerful about generosity? Like, you should be. Right? Out of gratitude, out of obedience for what Christ has done for us, we should be compelled to do for others. And here's the thing with generosity. Generosity doesn't have the idea of stopping when it gets hard or uncomfortable. Generosity pushes beyond that and gives sacrificially. And the idea is that as we do this, as we mature in our faith, 
And as we walk with the Lord, our threshold for cheerful giving should increase, right? I can gradually do more cheerfully because of what I realize Christ has done for me. It's not because someone deserves it. It's not because I like that person. It's not because I feel bad for that person. I, I serve others because of what Christ has done for me. So what should my attitude be? I will give generously because Christ gave generously to me. Not I will give generously because people deserve it. I don't give generously because people are always generous to me and treat me right because we don't treat each other right. And we might be tempted to take the position of, you know, no one ever gave me anything. No one did nothing for me. I don't know, I don't know anything to anybody. Well, it could be true. But if you're a Christian, you can't use that argument anymore because someone has done something for you. In fact, he's given you everything. He's given you salvation. And out of compulsion and out of response to that, we must be compelled to do that for others. Not because we like them, not because they're great people, but because Christ did it for you and for me. We must listen to the Spirit's prompting. And when we sense that we should be doing something, we go and we do it. We try it out. What's our third question to answer this morning? Are there some gifts that are more valuable or more important within the church? The temptation is to say, yeah, obviously, there's always more important jobs in an organization and a hierarchy. But things are a little bit different when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Principle number, number three is this. Everyone matters. Everyone matters. 1 Corinthians 12, there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have what kind of concern? So its parts should have what kind of concern? All right, just making sure you're still with me. A lot of you weren't. So we should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it, right? Just like with our bodies. We have a little injury, got a little hangnail on my little toe. But boy, I can't do anything. It just hurts so bad. It affects all of life, just a small, insignificant injury. When one part suffers, everyone suffers with it. And when one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. See, this is healthy church faith community living. We're not meant to all do the same things, but we're all meant to do something for the same reasons. Honoring Christ, building up the church. These gifts are given to us specifically to use within the church, not to help us gain things outside of the church, which they might do, but they're specifically given to us to use inside of the church. So what should my attitude be? What I do matters, so I should do it for God. Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart and work for the Lord, not for human masters, since we know that we'll receive an inheritance for the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Again, 
The idea isn't that we're serving people because they deserve it. We're serving out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. There's no one thing that's more important within the church, even if we're tempted to think that. Like, I'm not good at that, so I really can't contribute very much to the church. No, you will not find that within Scripture. It's just a reinforcement that every body part matters the same as the next. There's not one thing that's more significant than the other. It all has to function as one in order to be built up. So let's recap a little bit before we get to our final question. Principle number one, God owns everything, so my time is his time. Principle number two, give generously and cheerfully. My attitude, I will, be, I will give generously because Christ gave generously to me. And then principle number three, everyone matters, so what I do matters. I should do it for God. Here's our final question to think about today. Why is it important that we all use our gifts? Why is this so important? Here we must change the way we use our time. Principle number four is this. The way I use my time affects others. Whether you realize it or not, whether you think it does or not, the way you use your time affects others. And this is where we can get hung up. This is where we can falter and where selfishness can set in. Now, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not, you know, it's my life, my decision only affects me. It's just not true. What you do, how you use your time affects others. And when we're in a healthy faith community, the way we use our time contributes to significance. It contributes to something of eternal value. So let me challenge you with this. If you, if you hear nothing else today, please hear this. When you are actively engaged and serving within the church, you are contributing to God's redemptive plan for all of humanity. All right, am I exaggerating a little bit? No, I'm not actually. When Christ ascended back to heaven after his death and he's talking to his disciples, he says, I, I'm, I'm leaving. I can't stay here forever, but I'm not really leaving because you're here. So effectively, you are me. We, the church, Christians, we are the only tangible means to let people know what Christ is like here on earth. That's it. We're it. Are the way, is the way we're living a good reflection on who Christ is, how we're using our time, how we're using our finances, how we're treating one another, the language we speak to one another, how we lift people up, how we tear people down, if we are Christians, we are the world's sole means to knowing what Christ is like. And when you get engaged and you participate in the church, you are contributing to God's redemptive plan for humanity. Nothing else has been instituted like the church has to carry out this plan for God.
no other organization, no other institution. This is it. You are it. It's why this matters. What are some other things that benefit or, or happen when we're all responsibly carrying out and fulfilling our responsibilities within our faith community? Well, all of the needs of the church are supplied. But more than that, even more important than that, it overflows outside of the church. And people see that. And what scripture says is that when the, when the church is, is functioning in a healthy way and, and generously giving to others, that overflows into community. And then what happens is they see that and they're thankful to God for the church. And then they get in on it and become part of the church. So it's the overflowing of generosity from the inside out that people get attracted to. And we gain a good reputation within our community. How many churches have a poor reputation inside of their communities? We get grounded and accountable. We gain accountability because there's something that I have to do, and if I'm not there to do it, it's not going to get done. And when I'm apathetic towards that, it puts a strain on the other parts of the body to help compensate for what I'm not doing. It's just like the human body. And it ultimately helps us grow spiritually and mature spiritually. We are lacking in spiritual development if we aren't actively using our gifts within the church. When we have a healthy and unified body, we are stronger together than we are apart. Listen to this in Ephesians chapter 5. Then we will no longer, then once we gather and become a healthy and thriving faith community, we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of a new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies or clever, so clever that they even sound like truth, but aren't. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, so that the head, Christ who is the head of the body, the church. So what should my attitude be? I want to use my time to positively impact others. And more than that, I want to use my time to positively impact others for eternity. That's what we get to do inside of the church. Ultimately, how we respond to the Holy Spirit in all of this points back to our big idea. The realization that we all have a responsibility to fulfill within the church. And if I don't do it, somebody else is going to have to, or it doesn't get done. Either way, we're putting a strain on the church. In my observations over the past 20 plus years of being in full-time ministry and being a pastor, I've seen more apathy toward biblical faith community living than I've ever seen before in recent times. And particularly, in the devaluization of meeting in person, gathering as the church. There's been a lot that has disrupted this. But to build a healthy culture 
to build a, a healthy environment, a faith community, to build relationships. We got to be around each other, right? We, we, we have to see each other. We have to come together and be able to put our arms around brother and sister in Christ and cry together and encourage one another and pray together and worship together, sing together. Some things just cannot be emulated in any other environment. No stadium, no concert hall, nothing can emulate what happens when a group of Christians come together in worship. It's important. And it happens every single week. And we miss out on the opportunity to be here. We prioritize other things. We devalue its impact. And we come and we consume it without any compulsion to actually help build it up. So what do we do with all of this information? Like how can, how can we take it and do something with this? So here's the first takeaway for today. I will use my time for God's purposes, not my purposes. So it's just beginning to shift our mindset with these different principles and say, okay, time's not really my time. How can I begin to use more of it for God's purposes, not just my own purposes? And don't fall into the trap of thinking, oh, there's plenty of good people in the church doing plenty of great things, or... No, that's kind of my wife's thing. She's kind of the spiritual one. She's got me covered. Or maybe it's the opposite. You know, my husband does enough for both of us. Or maybe it's grandma. Grandma does enough in the church. She's got us all covered. Or what about young people in the room? Teenagers. Young professionals. Don't be tempted to assume this is my parents' responsibility. This is my grandpa. This is for old people to take care of. Because the Holy Spirit, from what I can find in Scripture, does not differentiate ages. He distributes spiritual gifts when we become Christ followers at any age, and you have a personal responsibility to fulfill within the church. So don't think it's not for you. If you're a Christian, it's for you. There's no way around that. So takeaway number two, I will engage in fulfilling my purpose within the church. What's a practical next step for that? I want to make it very easy for us. If you have the church app, if you pull that out and open it up today, one of the first things you'll see right on the homepage is serving at Valley Point. You can fill that out. It's a lot of different ways. If you have no idea where to start, no idea what your spiritual gift is, this is all new to you, just try something. Like, you're not going to do a bad thing by volunteering for an area. It'll be a good thing. It might not click. You may have to try a couple of different things before you kind of find a, a lane to get into. But that's a practical next step. Get involved on Sunday mornings here at Valley Point. If you don't like technology, if you can't figure out how to download the app, we have paper copies for you right at the Just For You table as you leave. Fill that out, leave it with us right there at the table, and we'll, we'll reach out to you this week and get something set up with you to talk through some opportunities. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27 says, All of you together, all of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. So let us not become apathetic. Let us not assume somebody else is going to do it. So let's get serious. Let's participate in expanding God's kingdom and being a part of his redemptive plan for humanity. And it doesn't get any bigger than that. It doesn't get any more significant than that. Right? Nowhere else will you find a place and an ordained institute from God to impact people's eternity forever. So on this Father's Day, let us not be timid when it comes to spiritual matters. Let us pay as much attention to our family's spiritual development as we do to the other components of its development. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this opportunity for us to gather. And we thank you for what we're able to represent your love, your generosity toward others. And help us to not take for granted what you have done for us and to actively, in response and out of obedience, to do for others without expecting anything in return. I pray for fathers today, but not just for fathers, but I pray for for men and women, young people, older people who may not have had a good earthly example of what a father can be. I pray that you would adjust how we find our identity, that we, we don't find our identity in our earthly father. We find our identity in Jesus Christ. And let us look to him to tell us who we are and speak into the hearts of, of any man in this room that never heard their father say that they were proud of them. That you would speak into their hearts and say, son, I am proud of you. And what you do matters proud of your family, proud of what you've accomplished. Let us not be timid in matters of spirituality, but lead out in front. God, help the fathers today to be able to sit back and enjoy the fruits of their labor, to be proud of what they have built. God, let us not take our time for granted and let us be generous with it. We pray all of these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.